I'd like you to turn your Bibles today once again to 2 Peter chapter 3. As we continue our Be Strong series, we're making our way verse by verse through this letter of 2 Peter. Title of the message today is The Day of the Lord. We're going to look at verses 10 through 16. Follow along as I read. Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long sufferings of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, for the hope that we have in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we have something to look forward to that is certain and true. That in the midst of this world that we live in, when things can be just seeming chaotic and sometimes even confusing, that we know that you are on the throne, that you have a plan, and that your plan is being worked out according to your timing. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we look at your word, this wouldn't just be information in our minds, but it would be that which would impact our hearts. And we give you this time today in Jesus' name, amen. Question, how many of you have ever purchased a brand new car before? Okay, many of you. I remember when I graduated high school in 1982, as a graduation present, my parents bought me a brand new Subaru hatchback. It was a white little car, and uh, I loved that car. Now, in those days, you could buy a new car for about $4,000. Things have changed, haven't they? I think uh, some cars today cost more than my parents spent for their first house that they purchased. But that car, I love that car, and, and, and having a brand new car, you know, I really wanted to protect it. So when I would go to, you know, a, a someplace, you know, a mall or something like that, I'd park, you know, far away and away from other cars because I didn't want anybody dinging my car, and, and I'd wash and wax that car, you know, all the time. But then it happened. It was actually at church one day. This woman, being kind of careless in a orange Pinto, remember those, the Pinto? She backed right into my Subaru hatchback. 
and because it was at church, I just, I couldn't get too upset, right? But man, underneath, I was like, oh, it's okay. But underneath, it's like I was fuming a little bit, you know, that she backed into and just dented my car. And one of my friends, he said, you know, hey, Rob, don't worry about it. It's all going to burn. That wasn't helpful at <laughs> that moment. That kind of got under my skin. But you know, that is a true biblical truth. Have you heard that before? That it's all going to burn. In fact, uh, that's mentioned in several places in Scripture, especially uh, here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's telling us here that the earth as we know it isn't going to exist forever. And Peter says that this is going to happen on the day of the Lord. And we've noted that the day of the Lord, it's a major theme in Scripture. It's mentioned over 86 times. But the day of the Lord isn't speaking of a specific day, but it's speaking of a time frame. A time period that begins at the rapture of the church when Jesus comes for his church, and then it encompasses the time of the tribulation that comes upon planet earth, and then the second coming of Christ, and it includes the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. All of that encompasses this time known as the day of the Lord. Remember back in verse 8, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, where Peter mentioned that to the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And so this day of the Lord, it speaks of this time frame, this time period. And as I mentioned, it starts with the rapture. Peter tells us here that, that this is going to be sudden, like a thief in the night. And that event, the rapture, when Jesus comes for his church, it's going to catch the world off guard. And suddenly millions of people are going to be, you know, suddenly disappear from planet earth. And that event launches the world into a time frame of intense tribulation and difficulty. In fact, here's a few examples of what the Bible mentions about this day of the Lord. Joel, in Joel chapter 2, the, the minor prophet Joel said this, I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Zephaniah. Another one of the minor prophets wrote this in chapter 1, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast, and the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. The day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and destruction, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. It's a day of distress. A day of war. In Malachi chapter 4, Malachi writes, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. And so it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. 
So Peter says that, that this day is going to be sudden, like a thief in the night, but it's also going to be certain. And he describes this day when, when the earth is going to be dissolved. Notice how he puts it in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Maybe an explosion that takes place. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And Peter here is really expanding upon what he already said in verse 5. If you want to look there, he says, for they, speaking of the false prophets that came and said, where is the coming of the Lord? He says, for they willfully forget, or they willfully ignore is another way that it puts it. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. God created this world, but he spoke it into existence. Peter's reminding us. And by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Peter says the last time that God destroyed the world, he did it with water. The next time he's going to do it with fire. And that's really not that hard to imagine because the entire creation, the entire material universe, because of the basic atomic structure of this universe, it's really has the potential to be one big nuclear bomb. You see, the surface temperature of the sun, for instance, is 10 to 12 degrees Fahrenheit. The center core of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. It's very, very hot. And that's what gives us, like here in December, a nice day. You know, Friday we took our grandson down to the beach and we took a picture and we posted it on, you know, Instagram. And it was a beautiful, we're having these incredible days right now, right? Our weather. And one of our friends commented, it's minus six degrees in Alaska right now. Thank you for the picture, you know? And, but that's, you know, the, the sun, it, it brings this warmth that we experience and we so enjoy, especially living here in Southern California, even though it's 93 million miles away. But it is this, this burning mass. And you think about the planet that we live on is also a, at its core, a molten mass of rock. The core of the earth is over 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And the only thing that separates us from that heat is this little crust of 10 miles that circumvents the globe. So it's easy to see how this could all happen. And Peter says that it's all being, it was all brought into being by the spoken word of God. God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let there be land and there was land. And he says, it's the word of God that spoke this world into existence. And it's the word of God that one day is going to speak it out of existence. That God is one day going to say that it is time. But what Peter wants us to remember is that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 13 again. He says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What promise is he talking about? 
He's talking about the promise from Isaiah chapter 66, where the prophet Isaiah declared those very words, I will make new heavens and a new earth that will last forever, says the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John sees a vision. And in that vision, he declares the same thing. He says, uh, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And by the time we get to Revelation chapter 21, understand that the tribulation has passed. The thousand year reign of Jesus has passed. And then after all of that is done, this present earth will be destroyed and a new one will be put in its place. New heavens and a new earth. But here's what I want you to catch. The word new that Peter uses here, and the same one that John uses in Revelation 21, isn't the typical word for new. The typical word for new in the Greek is neos, and and it speaks of something that's new in time. Kind of the idea that it's new chronologically. But the word that Peter uses here is kainos, and it means new in the sense that it's of a different sort, or it's a different kind. It's new in quality. We could say it's unlike anything that we have previously known. It is brand new. And at the end of the tribulation time, when the world, it's going to be pretty beat up after the tribulation. You read about all that goes on in the book of Revelation in the tribulation time. Jesus comes back. He sets up his kingdom, his millennial reign. And during that time of his millennial reign, the, this world is going to be kind of rejuvenated and renewed. I, I picture sometimes like the ending of the Lion King, you know, where everything that is burned suddenly gets color again. Like that's how I picture it. Like over time, that's going to just be rejuvenated and renewed. And the, the millennial reign of Jesus is going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be a part of that as we're going to rule and reign with him, the Bible says here, on planet earth. And he describes it, the Bible describes it as a time where like the lion lays down with the lamb. Everything changes. Little kids play with snakes and they don't get bit. In fact, on one of our prophecy update nights in 2022, we're going to spend the whole night talking about the millennium and what that's going to be like. But at the end of all of that... At the end of that thousand year reign and Satan's let loose for a time and he deceives some who are on the earth that it says that that then Jesus is going to take all of this and kind of wrap it up and it's going to be burnt and he's going to make this new heaven and this new earth and that's really kind of how the the end of the story of the Bible it's how it ends. And I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of odd to us. It kind of leaves us scratching our heads because we're kind of like turning the page like, okay, what else, Lord? What's next after this? And I think the reason why the Lord doesn't give us more further detail about what's coming is he knows it would blow our minds. That it's going to be that incredible. It's going to be so much even better than the millennial time, this new heaven and this new earth, that it would be too much for us to handle. But he wants us to know that, hey, this is our hope. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the plan of God. And with that information comes responsibility. And that's really Peter's point here. Notice back in verse 11, he says this, Therefore, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? Since you know this is what's coming down and this is what's going to happen, what kind of people should you be? 
And Peter lays out here five things, I think, for us to consider of the type of people that God wants us to be, knowing that this is what's coming. Now, the first actually isn't in our text, but I think it's obvious. And it's the idea that God wants us to be people who are not materialistic. And you see, when you realize that everything that we have, all our possessions, all of that is going to burn, we realize that what's the, you know, the point of getting too attached to those things? Now, possessions aren't wrong. They're not bad as long as they don't possess you. Possessions are fine as long as they don't possess you, as long as that's not what you are living for. Possessions, we need to see, our perspective on them needs to be that we see them as tools to bless others. That's what God has given us, that we we like to say around here that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing, that God has blessed us and so that we can bless others. And I love to see people who have been, you know, maybe extra blessed by the Lord and they use those blessings in order to bless other people. And that's really the heart that God wants us to have, that we would live with a loose grip on the things, the possessions and the things of this world, because we realize, hey, we can't take it with us. It's going to be left behind and it's all going to burn. Now, in his book, Eternity, the writer Joseph Stoll described Christians who are too attached to the things of this world. He described them in this way. He called them earthbound believers. This is what he said. Earthbound believers live the most important segments of their lives only in the context of this world. Their expectations, dreams, hopes, and plans all relate to what they can acquire and experience now. Those who are living with the right perspective realize that, hey, it's not all about the here and now, it's about the there and then. And so we're living with eternity in view. So number one, we're not to be materialistic. Number two, we live with an expectant hope. Look in verse 12 and notice that that word looking, he says there in verse 12, looking for his coming. And then in verse 13, he uses the word to look. We look for a new heaven and a new earth. And then in verse 14, he uses the word again, looking for those things. Now, there's a word in the Greek for the word look that means to observe, to observe something. That's not the word that he uses here. The word that Peter uses here when he says looking and look and looking again, he says it's a word that speaks of we're looking for something with an expectation and a longing. That we're looking, expecting with a sense of of excitement about what's coming. You know, when my kids were younger and they were in the home, they would look with a sense of expectation for me to come home at the end of the day. And Denise would tell him, you know, dad's going to be home in a half an hour. And, and so when I'd come pulling up, you know, they'd get all excited, come running out of the house. Daddy's home because they, they knew that it, man, it was time to play. It was time to do something fun with dad. Now my dog waits for me like that. <laughs> He totally does. I mean, we have this chair by the window and he gets up on the chair and we'll be pulling up and we'll see him looking out the window and then he jumps off the chair and runs to the front door and he gets up and looks through the little opening there. You know, he's like, daddy's home, you know, time for a walk, time to play. But that's really the idea that Peter's talking about here. It's looking with a sense of expectation and excitement. It's being preoccupied with the coming of Christ. 
knowing that Jesus is coming and I can't wait for him to come. You know, in Union Grove, Wisconsin, there's a ministry called Shepherd's College. And they used to run a home there called Shepherd's Home that was for mentally challenged kids. The whole college is for mentally challenged kids. It's an amazing ministry. And the founder of the home said that one of the major maintenance problems at the home was dirty windows. And the reason was these mentally challenged kids, at any time of the day, you could see them in any part of the home with their faces pressed up against the window, looking up at the sky, looking and hoping that today was the day that Jesus was going to come and to make them whole. When's the last time that you looked up at the sky and thought, is today the day? But this is what Peter's talking about. That we would be looking with a sense of expectation and excitement. That we would realize that and understand that later is longer. That this world is not our home. And when we see things going on in this world that just seem crazy and confusing and we see like, we see it, you know, like, man, it just seems like this is all falling apart. Like I've been telling you, it's not falling apart. It's just falling into place. It's kind of like when you start seeing the Christmas decorations going up in the stores in September. And it signals, it's a signal, hey, Thanksgiving's almost here, right? You see those Christmas decorations, you're like, oh, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Well, when we see the signs that are happening in our world, it's, it's just the indication that, hey, the coming of Jesus is near. Notice what Peter says, though, in verse 14. He says, be diligent. And that word diligent speaks of the idea of putting forth a maximum effort. In other words, it's not something that just happens, but it's something that you intentionally put your hearts toward. He says, be diligent to be found by him, who's him, Jesus, in peace. Be diligent when he comes to be found by him in peace. That means that we're not freaking out over what's going on in our world. We're at peace. Why? Because we know how the story ends. We're at peace because we know how it all comes together. We're not freaking out. You know, my wife and I, sometimes at night, we like to, you know, watch a a TV program before bed. Problem is, is our tastes are different in what we like to watch. I like to watch things that are kind of, you know, action-oriented, maybe suspenseful-oriented, and she likes to watch things that are like a lot more mellow, like Hallmark and, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and, um, but there was a, a, a time, some of you remember this, when somebody gave us for Christmas the DVD set of the 24 series, you know, Jack Bauer, and, uh, and we started watching that. And my wife, on things that are kind of action and oriented and suspenseful, she can get stressed out. That's why she doesn't like to watch it, you know, when we're going to bed. And so it's getting down some intense part, you know, and, and Jack Bauer's in trouble and she would grab my arm sometimes and go, do you think he's going to make it? You know, she's kind of stressing out. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is season one and I know there's five seasons and he's in all of them, so I know he's going to make it, you know? So I'm not stressing out and freaking out over, is he going to make it? Because I know that 
how the story ends. You know, I know there's five seasons. And so I'm just rather more intrigued. How's he going to make it? How's he going get to out, get out of this? How's he going to get out of it this time? You know, I mean, that guy was like Superman. You know, it's like, how's he going to get out of all of this? Well, in the same way, as Christians, when we see things going on in our world, we, we're not getting freaked out. We're not getting stressed out because we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus wins. We know that Jesus is coming back. We know that he's going to set up his new kingdom. He's going to rule and he's going to reign. And, the, and after the thousand year reign, we know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so we, as we see these events unfolding in our world, we're watching them, not with a sense of being you know, stressed out, but more intrigued. Lord, how does this fit into your plan? How does this fit into what you've laid out? How does this fit into what you have? How, how are you going to bring this all together? So number two, we are to live with an expectant hope, a peace in knowing that he has it all together. But again, with information comes responsibility. So number three, we are also to be reflections of Jesus in this world. And in verse 11, Peter uses two words that speak of the unique calling that we have as Christ followers. He uses the word holy and godly or godliness. The word holy... In the Greek is the word hagios, and it means to be set apart. And as Christians, we are set apart from something, this world. But we are also set apart to someone, Jesus. That's the calling that we have as Christians, that we are holy. It means that God says, I've set you apart from the world, but I've set you apart to myself. What does the word godly mean? The word godly simply means to reflect the character of your creator. In essence, when God looks upon Christians and really the whole body of Christ, he expects to see in our lives a reflection of who he is. That's what godliness looks like. We're waiting. We're waiting for him to come. We're waiting for these things to unfold. We're not stressing out because we know how the story ends. And we're seeking to reflect him, that he calls us his ambassadors in this world. Here's the question, though. You are, if you, if you name the name of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are an ambassador of Jesus. You're a representative of Jesus. The question is, what kind of representative are you? That's the question. Jesus said that you guys, you're the light of the world. You're a city that is set upon a hill that is not to be hidden. But here's the thing we need to understand. The Christian, our light is a lot like the moon. Do you know the moon doesn't have any light in and of itself? On a dark night, when you look up at the moon, you see it shining bright, you know, and it's really the light that we see in the moon is a reflection of the sun. And what's interesting, sometimes we'll look up and we'll see a half moon, sometimes a quarter moon. Why is that? Well, what happens to the, the moon is its, its reflection diminishes when planet Earth comes between the moon and the sun, and that light of the sun is blocked by the planet Earth, blocked by the world, so that we don't see the moon's light. Well, the same thing is true for us as believers, We have no light in and of ourselves. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, but our light, the light that we have, is a reflection of who he is. 
When we draw near to him, when we get close to the Lord, when we seek him, Paul put it this way, that we are beholding the Lord. We who are beholding him are being transformed. That we have this light of Jesus coming forth from us. But what causes our light to diminish? When the world comes between us and the S-O-N son, the son of God. That causes our light to diminish So that's why Paul says that, he says, hey, don't let this world in Romans chapter 12 squeeze you into its mold. The basic message for us as as Christians that the Bible gives us is this, that we're to be in this world, but we're not to be of it. We're in this world. We're to be lights. We're to shine. We're to reflect the Lord. We're to have a, a positive influence on our culture that we impact people for Christ and we show the love of Christ and we stand for righteousness and, and all of that. But we're to be in this world. Jesus keeps us here, but we're not to be of it. We're to be different. Different priorities, different perspectives, different pursuits than that of the world. And so... Peter says here, be diligent. Look at verse 14 again. To be found by him in peace. And then he says, without spot or blameless. What does that mean? The word blameless means without accusation. Now, right away, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, that's impossible. I'm not perfect. And you're right. You're not. Neither am I. We make mistakes. So here's what I think that we need to do as Christians. What this looks like for us. When he says that we're to be blameless, we need to own our mistakes. We need to be different from the world in the sense that people in the world, when they make mistakes, they like to make excuses. They like to rationalize. What we need to do is we need to own it. We need to say, hey, to our unbelieving friend or to our Christian brother or sister, hey, you know what? What I just said, what I just did, that was wrong. And I need need you to forgive me. I need to apologize because I was not reflecting Jesus at all. That's not his heart. That's not the way. We need to do that type of thing. And it's that very type of thing that will make us stand out in this world. And in the sense that those who are owning our mistakes and owning our sin. Remember when we studied 1 Peter. That there in chapter 2, Peter made this statement in 1 Peter 2 verse 11. Beloved, I now beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. The idea being there, hey, you're just passing through. That's what sojourners are and pilgrims. They're on their way home. He's saying, this world is not your home. You're just passing through. He says, I beg you as pilgrims and sojourners, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Be different. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles or the unbelievers. We're seeking to live our lives shining as lights, being reflections as those who are living honorably to honor Jesus in this world. So that's number three. We're to be reflections of Jesus. Number four, we are to be burdened for the lost. Look at verse 15. He says, and consider that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Long-suffering speaks of patience. And Peter is pointing us back here to verse 9 that we looked at a couple weeks ago when he says, Remember this, the Lord is not slack about his promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Remember we talked about this, that Peter was letting us know that one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't come back yet, one of the reasons why there's still a delay is because this is the character of God, is he desires that none would perish, 
but that all would come to repentance. So he continues to wait. He continues to be patient, waiting for that day and that time when, when, when more people are going to respond to the message of the gospel. And really, in both of these verses, what's implied is Peter's telling us this, don't get so caught up in your own problems that you're just waiting for Jesus to come and take you to get you out of here, to, to rescue from you from what's going on. He says, no, I want you to live with a sense of urgency and a sense of understanding of, of knowing why you're still here. That God wants us to impact the lost who are around us. In fact, look back at verse 12 for a moment. He says in verse 12, looking for and hastening. That word hastening means to hurry up the coming. Can we actually hurry up the coming of Jesus? Well, sort of. Peter said this in Acts chapter 3. He told the people he was preaching to repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began." Peter seems to understand here that Jesus wouldn't come back until they were saved. And this is the reason why he preached. So in essence, he was saying, hurry up and repent so these times of refreshing can come and Jesus can come back again. I've said this before. I think there's a, a certain number, perhaps, that God says there's this one last person. When that person you know, gives their life to Christ, that boom, that's when it's going to happen. That's when I'm coming. And if you're here today or watching online and you don't know Jesus, you might be the person holding this whole thing up. <laughs> so give your life to Jesus today, all right? So our sharing of the Lord can hasten the coming but, but I also think, remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray? He said, pray. Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus was saying there is that he wanted us to live our lives with a sense of just being occupied with the kingdom of God and his kingdom being infiltrating our world. And I think as we take on that kind of mindset, that the kingdom of God, his coming comes, in a sense, we could say it's quicker for us, in the sense that it becomes, you know, a, a, a part of our lives and a part of our makeup. Think of it in this way I've done a lot of weddings as a pastor, and there have been so many weddings where it's been, you know, the wedding day and I get a chance to see the bride and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Are you ready for this? And, and, and she says something to this effect, I wish I would have had more time. And that's kind of amazing when you think about, you know, when the, sometimes the minute that person, you know, they, the, the guy, um, you know, pops the question, Coke or Pepsi? No, he pops the question. Will you marry me? 
And sometimes the date that is set, it's, it's a, a year away, and they have a year to plan for their, their wedding. And after all that planning, you know, they get to the day, and they still wish that they had more time because there was so much to do. And I think in a similar way, when we're living for the Lord and we're trying to impact others for this world and we're living our lives with a sense of having a burden for the lost, you know what starts to happen is you start to realize there's a lot to do. There's a lot of people that still need to be reached. And as much as we are longing for and looking for Jesus to come, there's this conflict within us because on the one hand, it's like, Lord, you can't come soon enough. But on the other hand, it's like, Lord, but maybe not today because, man, there's more people that need to be reached. And I think that this is that that sense as you realize, man, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And I think that should invite within us a sense of of urgency. So we are to be those who have a burden for the lost. Number five, we are to be those who are grounded in the Scriptures. Look again at verse 15. He says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand. I'm so glad that Peter said that about Paul's writings. Have you ever read Paul and just scratch your head going, I don't get this, Paul. Like, what are you saying here? He says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Here's what Peter's telling us, a couple of things here. One, he's telling us, reminding us, that Paul's writing was a part of the Scriptures. That Paul was anointed by the Holy Spirit to write many, many books in the New Testament. And he said, Paul also wrote about these things, the coming of the Lord and the patience of God and his waiting that that others would be saved. And what Peter's also reminding us here is the need for us to do what we're doing today, to gather like this and to study the Word of God. Because notice he says that those who go off track, those who who go astray are those who are untaught and unstable, who twist the Word of God. And they get off track. And so it's important for us to gather together like this and to study the Word of God together. Paul would write to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. he say this, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul says to Timothy, hey, know this, in the last days, there's going to be some who are going to depart from the faith and they're going to give heed to false teachings. And for that reason, Paul said to Timothy in verse 13 of that same chapter, until I come, you, Timothy, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Exhortation and doctrine is the teaching of the word of God. He says, look, in the last days, there's going to be those that go astray, but you, you be faithful to teach the word of God. He'd say something similar in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Paul says, Timothy, look, there's going to come a time when people won't endure sound doctrine. Instead, they're going to heap up teachers because they have itching ears. They're going to heap up. They're going to bring in teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. But he says, Timothy, you be faithful to preach the word. And I hope that you are thankful that we here at Calvary Vista are committed to giving you the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's our heart, to teach through the Scriptures. And sometimes that means we're going to deal with things that are hard to deal with, things that aren't fun to talk about. That we're going to convince and we're going to exhort and we're going to rebuke. And sometimes that means that it's going to get under your skin a little bit. But it's good for us. I ran into a guy who used to go to church here. And this was quite a a while ago. And he said, you know, we saw each other out in the community one day. And he says, you know, hey, Pastor Robbie, good to see you. And he goes, you know, I, I loved coming to your church. I loved how you just would work your way through books of the Bible. I love that. He said, but my wife, she had a hard time. And she, she said, you know, I just sometimes, you know, when, when we come, I just I leave feeling bad about myself. So she wanted to go to this church where we never leave feeling bad about ourselves. Well, maybe, I said to him, maybe you're feeling bad about yourself because that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, of the Word of God. That's what God does, right? God's Word. He's like that loving Father and that gentle surgeon that comes to to clip away things in our life that don't belong. But he does that because he loves us. And he wants us to be more like Jesus. And so, we need to be those who are grounded in the Scripture. Those who are burdened for the lost. Those who are seeking to live as reflections of Jesus in this world. Those who have an expectant hope that was brought about by a peace that no matter what is going on in our world, our hearts are just at peace because we know how the story ends. And because of that, we live as people who aren't tied to materialism. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this reminder that we have from Peter of how we are to be living in these last days as people whose lives are committed to you, as people who have that sense of hope in knowing that you are coming that you one day are going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And so, Lord, we live with that sense of of hope today, but also we live with a sense of urgency and realizing that you've left us here, called us to be set apart, set apart from the world and set apart to you to be reflections of who you are in this dark world. 
and to be those who would impact the lives of people around us that don't know you. So Lord, give us that sense of a burden for law, the lost people around us. And use us, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name.